This is Creatives Incorporated, where we take a look at the process and inspiration of creators. I'll be your host. My name is Travis. I'm a commercial photographer and production sound mixer based in Pensacola, Florida. Today on Creatives Incorporated, we have two-time ACM award winner and current personality of the year, the morning show host and program director for Cat Country 98.7 here in Pensacola, Florida and around the region, Mr. Brent Lane. Thanks for being here. Oh man, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. So Brent, everyone knows you in town as a big radio personality. You've been very successful at Cat Country, um, you know, you were brought in to be Mr. Pensacola, and that's very much what I think you've been successful coming <laughs> in. I don't think there's anyone in town that either hasn't seen you around, hasn't been to an event that you've been to or one you've hosted, uh, you know, or or just, you know, you know you're great friends with uh, my brother-in-law, Craig, and going out with you two is very difficult because <laughs> you can't get anywhere on time. Someone's always stopping one of you two to say uh-huh. hello. Well, man, you know, I mean, dude, I've always looked at this job as, as very much a privilege. This is this is a get-to job, not a have-to job, mm-hmm. and uh, have felt that way. I was about nine when I figured out I wanted to go into radio, so, you know, I'm literally living the dream every morning at 5 a.m. So, being that young, when did you actually get your foot in the door? When did you first start? Um, I used to make recordings of off the radio when I was nine. I'd get in trouble because my mom would come in and like catch me under the covers listening to us. It was Hot 104. And um, I would actually go on to meet the guy who was hosting that show probably 10 years later at junior college. And um, he had given me a great piece of advice at that time, which was to celebrate the music and find something you're passionate about to support in your community. And I've, I've always tried to live that. But um, I don't know, man. I was in high school, and the lowest-rated radio station in my hometown wanted to fill their public service time, and they were required at that time to do a minimum of two hours of public service time every week. Uh, they wanted to fill it with a high school talk show. And their original concept was that the five high schools in my hometown would rotate. And um, I was the only one that showed up, or we were the only ones that showed up, because I wasn't the only person from my high school. I had recruited several other other folks, and like they put out this call for who wants to be on KTRB, and I was like, "Oh, I'm totally in." Uh, thinking, of course, at the time, being on the radio meant you know, girls in my high school would totally dig that. You'd be famous. And- yeah, well, it was an oldies country station, and there were not a whole lot of girls in my high school into Hank Senior, so I got a really good foundation of country music, but um, not so much on the girls. But I really found a passion for the job. Um, and, I, and I liked it. I learned there's a lot of things about radio that set it apart from a different job. It's I, I like to tell people you kind of get paid to make friends. And that's true. There's If you're a communications major, you know there's no such thing as interpersonal mass communication, right? That is that is n- That does not exist in the teaching world. And yet, I would tell you that when I had the opportunity to teach it, I, w- I would tell you I would I focused on this part. Because radio is the one thing where that is actually for real. Right, so to have interpersonal communication, you have to have give and take. We have to have feedback. Well, radio, I I would tell you, offers that. It's a very special thing because unlike TV or unlike anything else, when I say something is read on the radio, what you see in your mind is based entirely on your like preconceived notion of what read is. So everybody's conceptualization of what I'm talking about, of my storytelling, is different. Like, it's all based on your own interactions, very one-on-one. And so, that creates some unique bonds that other things don't. Like, it's never on radio, if we're doing it right, it's never y'all, it's never you guys, it's always one-on-one. It's very me and you talking in the car. If you're driving and I'm talking, I'm talking to you. 
There might be thousands of yous I'm talking to at that time, but everybody's part of the story is, you know, different. They're hearing it a different way. And so what that does is that creates some really unique bonds. So I learned early on, like I was probably 15, and my par- I had a work permit, and I told my parents I w- they had offered me the opportunity to work midnight to 8 a.m. Saturday night into Sunday, and my mom cried because she thought I would never finish school. And um, But there was this lady named Old Hickory who would call me, and probably because she had to take medication at you know 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning or whatever it was, and she was in her 80s. But we would talk about everything from prom because it was boring man in the middle of the night like it sounds like a great idea you're like i am on the radio and what that really means is man it's three o'clock in the morning and and there's just nobody else up so when hickory would call me we would talk about all kinds of stuff and uh so i developed a friendship with her and sent her my picture from prom from my girlfriend at the time and she would send me this old black and white of her and her husband I and mean, she was old and um and then one day she stopped like calling and so some time went by, and I got this letter from what turned out to be her son, who had found my prom picture and figured out that old Hickory would get up in the middle of the night, and Hickory would call. And his mom had died, and so he would just wanted to let me know. And it, it just caught me at that moment that, like, it hurt. You know, I was like, mm-hmm. oh, I didn't know that. I never met this lady in, in person, mm-hmm. but I had a relationship with her. And in figuring out early on that that's kind of what this business is, that's it's not really it goes beyond being a business. If you do it right, it's not a job, right? It's, if you do this right, it is really, you know, you invest in your community and you invest in you know in your time. And in 31 years of being on the radio, I've only worked in three cities, which is very rare for our business. So I, where my hometown, where I grew up, was in Modesto, California, and I was in San Diego for 11 years. Went to school and got a master's degree because I didn't want my mom to be right. <clears throat> Not only did I finish school, but I kept going. Um, and then I and then I came here, and and um, you know we're we're much of you know a faith based family, and we had a God closed a door, opened a window kind of thing, and so that's how we ended up in Pensacola, and um, and we've been you know this has been a huge blessing. I mean, I love this community. I love what I get to do. I love the history of this community, and I'm very proud of what Pensacola is, and. Um, and I think that all of those are factors. If you know you, you've credited me with a lot of success, and in, in that you would call me Mr. Pensacola. I don't consider myself like that. I'm just very proud of our community. Um, so I always consider it a privilege to be asked to go host Big Brothers, Big Sisters, or something for Mana Food Pantries or whatever. That that is always nobody has to do that. Mm-hmm. That is just something that I always feel like as an honor, and I feel like you know it is incumbent on me to to try to make the best of anybody's opportunity, you know, benefit or whatever that is that I'm involved with. So that, you know, that's kind of how I got to, to this point, starting early on, realizing that, of course, the girls in my high school did not like Hank Sr. So. <laughs> <laughs> but you still got old Hickory on the phone. Well, you know, she was, she, again, she, you know, I, like I said, I learned a lot. It was, it was. This is not a job about being famous. In fact, actually, I would tell you that if you want to, if this is a job that you were coming into, if you were listening to this right now or watching this right now, and go, man, I want to be in that because I want to be famous. It's a hard job. It's not. If it's not, an, I'm going to be famous. Job. You can be famous, and you can be a good radio person. But if you are famous, if being famous is more desirable to you than working on your craft or working on the the job part of this or being excellent at doing the stuff that goes along with being a good radio station as a group, it's hard to succeed. 
I want to transition from there because I want to go back later in the in the show and talk about your teaching time in San Diego because I think there's a lot of people that don't know that you actually taught at the university level for a while. You know, I, I have known you, so I know you're very passionate about what you do and the craft. But I think a lot of people, when they think of a radio host, think, "Oh, I got to be able to, I got to be a real smooth talker." Right. But like you said, it's a lot of being able to, you know, feel like you're connecting with someone over a distance, one-on-one, even when it's a mass crowd. But there's also beyond the the soft skills and the technical requirements of speech that you have, there's probably a lot of technical know-how and engineering on the sound side, right? Because do you still have uh, dedicated soundboard engineers running everything? I thought it was a lot of these days it was, if you, you know, on mic you were doing everything. I'm doing everything, yeah. I mean, we, and in fact, when I fill in on our talk formats, I still run my own board. I don't need somebody else to run my board. I like to be in control. <laughs> I never, look, if I'm going to go down because I said something because the mic was accidentally on, I want it to have been my fault, not because somebody else didn't pop me down. So now is that, is that stuff you, you, all of that technical training, is that stuff you've picked up along the way, largely when you were still a teenager and you kind of got it all at once or over the schooling? Well, I think that. I think I would answer this question this way. So I'm a doer, um, and I also like to play Tetris with the way I want stuff to happen creatively. So um, I'm willing to try a bunch of stuff a, a whole lot of different ways. I mean, the things I want, I'm looking for, we're building a new studio for Cat Country right now. And so the, what I'm most excited about, besides having this huge 16-channel board that'll allow me to do everything, is is actually the aux ports. Like, I want to be able to plug in a Mackie board so I can pre-mix artists as they come in and play for us. Like, I want to be able to mix that into my board while I can control all the different levels of what they're going to do. Um, and I think some of that's trial and error. I mean, you have to have a basic knowledge of how to work a board, what pot goes here to make what sound happen, you know. Um, but that's not really that's not really the requirement. I think that today, I when I started, I was still doing production on reel-to-reel like eight track tape that I was splicing together. And honestly, I feel a little bit like because of that experience, I'm a better production guy today because I know how I would have, I, I know how to do it like that, but I was also an early adopter. I was the first guy at my radio station in San Diego to be editing on digital, like on a la- on a computer. In fact, actually, I had one of the, the production guys, why would you ever want to do that? I'm like, because <laughs> like, this is so much easier. <laughs> like, you know. <laughs> This is really the future. I promise, dude, you're going to want to do this. But, um, but I mean, that you know, that those, those are things that I think that if you acquire some hard skills, and today when you're in a class, you know, hopefully you're getting the skills of how to layer tracks and how to do all of that stuff. Well, all that's great. In the real-time application of that, I, I mix a lot of stuff on the Cat Pack Morning Show in real time. I'll have three or four tracks running in different formats on that board at the same time, and that's kind of the magic of radio. How do you get that harp sound to pop up? Well, that's on this button over here, which is on this pot over here. Yeah. So. That's great. Most people I know who do anything where they're in front of a microphone, they tend to develop a strong opinion about what mic they like on their voice. Mm. Mm. <laughs> well, I'm a Shure SMB guy. I like, mm. I like the way Shure sound. Uh, we have used, for all of the time I've been at Cow Country, RE20s. Um, I find them to be a little bit colder. I, mm-hmm. I I prefer the sure sound, but what ends up happening is, is we have this massive Optimod, you know, processor that happens that takes all the stuff we do on the radio station and it basically puts a finalizer on it. Mm-hmm. 
So it all sounds great when it comes out the speaker. Yep. <laughs> I don't necessarily like how it sounds in my head, in my earphones if, yeah. before the mix, but I do like how it sounds afterwards. So yeah. You spent some time on the radio in high school, got your foundations, went off for, you said, that two-year degree in San Diego. Well, actually, I went off. Uh, I started I, in, in Modesto. I went to Modesto Junior College for two years. And because I was already on the radio and I knew I wanted to do that as a career, I got into my communications classes and they just bumped me forward because, I mean, I was already working, which was more experience than the people in class two had. So I pretty much went right from there to the college radio station on that campus, which was great, and got some leadership experience there. I was the program director and the general manager of that station. And then I left for San Diego State for technically my junior and senior year. And uh, I w- had plans to go to work for KSON. As soon as I got there, at least that's what I'd hoped to do, because I had an in. The guy I was working for in Modesto at Cat Country had been that had been a station he was at. We had a similar trajectory, and so, um, but that didn't work out because nobody leaves KSON. It's a very hard station to to get a job at. Um, so while I couldn't get a job there, I went to the college station in San Diego, KCR, which is a legendary college radio station, and. Um, I got a job doing freeform radio, which was tough for me because I wasn't into grunge rock at the time. But it was really great in terms of the experience. I spent a year or I spent a, a semester as a host, and then I was the PD the the spring semester that year. And uh, it was pretty neat, man. We had like this is when Jewel was hanging out in coffee shops. That coffee shop was across the street. Oh, that's cool. She'd come and hang out at KCR, and uh, that was pretty neat. Um, so I was, you know, that was, and I would send an air check every week to that radio station, like every week. Hey, still here, you know, every 10 days was my plan, actually. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't quite every week, but every 10 days, which would throw off the day a little bit. So mm-hmm. if I sent it on a Monday, the next air check would show up on a Thursday the following week. And eventually I got hired. It took me eight months. But um, the night guy, the midnight to 5 a.m. guy on KSON. Got busted for getting photos for girls that were not of age, and so that's how I ended. He got fired and probably went to jail, I think, yeah, and uh, I got his position. So, uh, but that's that was the end. It took a long time, and I and I had some great mentors there. So I did that. I also uh, immediately I stayed with KCR in, in San Diego. I became the general manager the following year and wrote the handbook for it. As my I have a little bit of a claim to fame in that while I was there, we became the first college station to broadcast live around the world on the internet, which is cool. So that was neat. Um, We used to have to disconnect the stream because we only had 10 streams um, because there was like some dude in Germany that would just listen for 13 hours at a time. So in order to boot them off, you had to disconnect and reboot it and then get everybody back on. But that was really neat. Like I said, it was a great experience. I loved my time in San Diego. I actually went on to stay and get a master's degree after that, but I had, you know, my time had gone, come and gone on the mm-hmm. college radio station, but they are celebrating their 50th anniversary this year. It is killing me. I can't go back. Oh. So I would have loved to have seen, uh, you know, at least my slice of life in there. Congratulations. Now, which station in San Diego was it that you were at? You have this great story about one of the wildfires and you were on the radio and looked out the window and here it was coming down the hill and... um. Well, you're combining two different stories okay. of mine. So I was on the air at KSON. 
And uh, we did a lot of a lot of work. The wildfire that you're referring to came across Kearney Mesa, but I had a, I you know this, San Diego is a place where you have to have multiple jobs. So at okay. the time I was at KSON, I was teaching at San Diego State, and I was running a creative services company as well. And our office for that creative services company was in Kearney Mesa, which is which if you watch the movie Top Gun, like that runway where they're running, where he's driving him, that's the Kearney Mesa. Like that, Miramar is that airfield, and so what you're talking about is, um, you know, in October we get these things in California that they call uh, Santa Ana winds. So the wind reverses; it's like the the ocean becomes a vacuum and it sucks the wind out of the desert on the other side of these hills, and it'll race through there like 50, 60 miles an hour. Like it's a hot wind. So uh, I can't remember the name of the wildfire at the time, but it it had lit burned hundreds, hundred, two hundred thousand acres. But it came over the crest of Kearney Mesa down towards Miramar Airfield right at our office. And we had to pull all of our stuff out of our office, our sound equipment. We had to, because it was all going to be smoke. Like we, we spent a long time kind of getting all that stuff out. In addition to doing that, of course, the radio station in town, I mean, dude, we had hundreds of families affected. We ended up doing a huge, it was like a huge blanket drive just for people to, you know, kind of take shelter and you know there were a couple of communities that were devastated by that fire yeah, you have so many interesting stories from that time period i mean not just i mean you have a ton that you've done though how, how many years have you been this is 31 31 years in radio mm-hmm. how many of that's been in pensacola now this will be 14 that's right i knew you were getting close to 15 i didn't want to say 15 in case it was over or under 14 years wow so you know and again you know this is one of those jobs where you know, you throw yourself into whatever opportunity God's given you, and, and you, there you go, kind of go from there. Now, you taught a little bit uh, at the university while that's you true. were there. And that was during your master's program, correct? Yeah, that's true. Uh, so, we, st- I, I was not getting a master's degree, and websites were becoming a thing, and one of the one of the, uh, the professors we all had, you know, grad school is kind of like 19 of you kind of go through at a time or whatever that looks like. If you've been to grad school, you kind of know what I'm talking about. And so, we were this, you know, really tight-knit group. And uh, so Dr. Dozier was like, hey, we're gonna, I want to build a website for the School of Communication at San Diego State. We all signed up. <laughs> and it was going to be an elective. And literally, like everybody who was in my grad class group, we, we all went and did it. And there was this book of HTML codings about this thick. And um, that just does not work for me. Like, I don't, I don't learn well, especially when we're not doing anything. So I went to Office Depot outside of my apartment and bought uh, something called PageMaker and I built a template and brought it to the next class and was like, hey, you know, we'll check this out. We could Maybe we could build off of this for some practical application. <laughs> and that was the last time Dr. Dozier showed up at that class. <laughs> I pretty much taught that class from that point on and stayed about a week ahead of everybody else just to know what we were doing. And we did get a website done and then I was asked to teach as an adjunct professor for the next seven years until California ran out of money. And I taught, basically I taught what I did was I took web design, marketing, and combined them into projects based around my knowledge of radio. So I used that as kind of a format, and it was a great. It was a great class. And one thing about teaching, I think, that is pretty great, and I know you'll know this. It always keeps you sharp. Yeah. I always felt like I had to stay ahead of my students, mm-hmm. and um, inadvertently. When I was running that creative services company I was telling you about, um, I hired the best of each class. Mm. So eventually we grew to about 22 people deep. That's great. Wow. The first four students were, first four in the building were all some of my top students from some of those early years. And 
we built that company together and mm-hmm. so yeah that's one of the biggest secrets of uh of education is uh every time you see a teacher who looks like they know what they're talking about chances are they're seven days ahead yep yeah well you know it's one of those things where um if you do it right it's not it's not because i i think it's not because i was incapable or it wasn't like i was a working professor though you know and so for me I always liked the part where it kept me sharp because I got to engage every week. You know, mm-hmm. one of those professorial secrets is to ask your students questions, <laughs> which gets you thinking about those questions. Mm-hmm. And maybe somebody's going to come up with something genius you didn't even think of. And I've always, I've always enjoyed that process. And um, you know, one of my favorite things to do is go talk to UWF students in radio about radio. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, every year there's somebody in that class every year who is like going to end up at our doorstep. Which I always think is pretty great. And yeah. over the years, you know, one of the best examples, a guy named Davis Allen, who was a student at UWF, is now the program coordinator for the talk formats for my company. And he's, he's excellent. Excellent awesome. young man. Fantastic. All right, so next let's talk about, you know, we've walked you from nine years old through high school, through, you know, junior college and your time at San Diego State. Uh, you know, now that we're leaving San Diego, you had to... Pensacola, you've described that as a door shutting and a window opening. Yeah. And at that point, you and Angie had gotten together and you, oh, yeah. you have a family. Yep. What was that like? I uh, met Angela at the Bitter End in San Diego. She, we were, it was a dance club and I wasn't really a club guy, but my buddy had come to visit me. And so we, we met on a dance floor. I got our number on a O'Doul's napkin and led with, I'm a teacher, not a radio guy, which is how I knew I liked her because normally I was like, hey, I'm on the radio. Um, so, that worked out. That was pretty good. But uh, but yeah, we had a we had a young family. We had um, by the time I was, we were ready to make this move here. We uh, we had three kids, and and um, you know, I did. It was it was for me to come to Pensacola. God closed a door and opened a window pretty directly. I told you about the creative services company. Mm-hmm. We had one client that we served pretty exclusively at that point, like twenty two people, probably. 17 of those people were involved in just this client. <clears throat> and it ended up being a multi-level marketing kind of business. It was really good. Um, and I still, to this day, uh, I would tell you that if you're going into a business like that, that you want to go into a business where people would buy the product without the business opportunity. If you've got that, then you're on to something. And, um, but this particular client um, got... June 13th, 2003, uh, was notified that the FTC had seized the business, and I was holding about a quarter million dollars of advertising that I could not back out of that weekend. I think that was a Thursday. Ads started the next day, and we were booking long-form radio for people. So that was part of what that business was. We would do a lot of the radio infomercials, and then we would buy a lot of their advertising, and we'd kind of gotten lazy. Like an industry standard for radio is 90 days out as an agency. There is zero reason I would ever take that business again today. This was a huge learning opportunity. So it's cash in advance. I'm going to provide you this service, period. End of story. Um, but that's not how it was. So about a quarter million dollar of advertising that I was not going to get paid for. In fact, the all of these people that I was buying for just had their business seized so it was probably somewhere around four hundred grand that I was owed at the time. So we went from making revenue, which is pretty good for our little business at the time, which was about a million or so, 
we went from being a positive, you know, it's, and, and you know, as a business, mm-hmm. as an entrepreneur, like right. I wasn't bringing home right. money. Right. Like I was, should have probably, I mean, I was in my 20s. So at the time in my head, I had time to make adjustments. But mm-hmm. I mean, at that point in the game, I was, you know, everything went back in or went to right. somebody's salary or whatever, yep. but I wasn't personally bringing cash right. home. And that was a problem because yeah. I was still on the hook for all of the debt. And we flipped into some serious debt. And um, <clears throat> so it came down. I was originally trying to um, do a different job at KSON, and uh, it, they ended up going with somebody else. And so, what do you do? You know, it's like, well, we're going to have to make some sort of move. And I was doing pretty good in radio at the time, and so I had mentioned to the program director at the time. And the consultant at that time for that radio station handed me the card to uh, Dave and Mary Hoxing here in town. Mm. And they flew me out. My wife and I had a, uh, well, I tell the story in public, so I will. I could tell you here, we had a divorce-level fight. Like, she did not wrap her head around moving to Florida. She was a San Diego girl and did not know what that beheld us. So uh, it was like, you know, why would you, you know, why would you take this flight? You know, we're not going to do that. And uh, so I came out, and they took me out to Crabs, and I took a picture on my flip phone at the time, and it was of the pier, and there was nobody on the beach, and sent her this photo, and <laughs> you like it, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> and I actually ended up turning down the job. Like, I had my mentor, the guy from Cat Country 103 in Modesto, was now a PD in Salt Lake City, and I had a, I had, he and I had been talking, too. So I, I liked this job a lot, and actually... It was the hardest job I'd ever had to turn down. Like, it felt right. and um, But I felt, you know, like I had this other opportunity, and I knew Ed real well. And Ed called me after I'd turned this job down and said, hey, uh, our company is not going to – we're on a hiring freeze. I can no longer bring you here. Not going to happen. And, uh, you know, what do you say to that? I'd already turned this job down. I didn't have another place to go. wasn't feeling real great. And i uh, never forget, man, Dave Hoxing called me about two weeks later and was like, hey, I hear it didn't work out quite like you thought it would for Salt Lake. Would you reconsider Pensacola? And I said, yes, I would. My wife has to like it, though. And so uh, they flew Angela and I back out to Pensacola and put us up at the Hilton on the beach. And she was like, it's pretty amazing. Like, this is really amazing. So, you know, the deal was she had to hate it for us not to come. And so uh, I signed and at the time faxed back my deal agreement that I was coming. And uh, we were prepared that we would probably have our kids finish out school in California. This, this, this happened in November, so we were prepared. It took about six months to sell a house, and so I was prepared not to see them for six months. And uh, about an hour after we faxed back the agreement, uh, somebody knocked on the door of our house and offered to buy our home. As, as was for whatever price we'd pay for it. And so instead of six months, they arrived with a U-Haul like eight days after I got here. So we were like, woo-wee, this is a God thing. So we, um, that was pretty great. Yeah. I mean, what do you say to that? I mean, <laughs> yes, Lord, I will follow. <laughs> and I did. So we did. And, uh, and that was pretty, you know, that was awesome. So we, we got here. I got here to start December 1st of 2005. My first event was a... Uh, Christmas parade to which I had a woman who had never seen me before in her life, but I was wearing my first cat country shirt and long pants and 
ran up and said, I'll never forget what you did for us during Ivan. And I said, thank you. And she said, no, I thank you. And again, had no idea who I was. And that kind of set the tone for community service. And, and um, you know, and that's, that's how it really began for me was, um, I mean, the most welcoming, most philanthropic community I've ever been in in my lifetime. And uh, my wife to this day would tell you that if I had to go somewhere else, I would have to commute back home because she's not going anywhere. And our roots are pretty solid here. And and I've been very blessed. Our, my oldest daughter works for the radio station, is uh, is runs our uh, digital marketing, and is a, is a sales associate who will make sure that your business is great, along with a, the rest of our fabulous team. And Along the way, my my kids have been the cat, or Mister my son's Mister Stickers, or whatever you know, as, as the time that he's grown up. So, I've always looked at it as a as an amazing opportunity that um, you know we are fortunate that we followed. Had we not had we not done that, because actually, the station I was at tried to recruit me away from coming. They they came magically came up with another gig that I could do, and I you know I said I was already committed. Had we not done that. The whole 2008 recession, like my wife's full-time job went away, like we would have been, we would have totally been BK. Incidentally, I told you that long story about how we ended up with a ton of debt and I ended up here. What I didn't tell you is I never BK'd the company. We paid off every dollar that we owed to, I, at one point I owned one radio station in, in uh, Los Angeles, California, $86,000. And it took a lot to pay off, but we did it. And uh, we took Dave Ramsey's Financial Peace University class, which, as you know, mm-hmm. um, and my wife and I have been the coordinator for that mm-hmm. now for 10 years. Yeah. We took it in 2008, and then we have uh, worked that. That's kind of our ministry, you know, to give back is because it took us three and a half years to be debt free from the time we took that. Mm-hmm. But I never want to be in that position again, and I certainly believe that there's a lot of other people whose marriages are affected by it and all the things that go along with it. And so that's kind of how – that's our ministry together as a couple. Yep. And that's something my wife and I both took that, you know. Life-changing. Through you, and, through you and NG as well. It's, it's a good uh, time. We don't do the teaching. We just do the fun part of it. So mm-hmm. we help uh, – Dave does all the teaching, but uh, – you know, well, I always say if you're not uh, dumping debt and gaining weight, we're doing something wrong. So, because we do a lot of potluck food. Yeah. So, jumping back to life as an on air radio host. Now, you've stepped into the realm of program director, which puts, I'm sure, a ton more organizing and responsibilities on your platter. But it all goes back to your time in front of the mic, being a personality. Sure. You get up, and I've, I, you've said this other places, but I know you've told me you typically get up what, around 4 a.m. Yep. And it seems like, okay, well, then you'd get off eight or nine hours later, and you just have an adjusted schedule. Yeah. No. But you don't. <laughs> you go to bed about, you know, as late as I do. Yeah. You know? Probably not not, not uh, what my doctor would want to hear, but yes. yeah. So, so how have you, have you always been that kind of go-go personality, or has it... Well, I, I think that, uh, I think we're, you're looking at two different things. First of all, the... the there's multiple aspects of being creative happen in the radio station, right? So first of all, you have to figure out what the overall station promotion is. And I happen to like, you know, I've gotten to where we've gotten, I think, good as a team at delivering on events, even first-time events. Like, we we are pretty good. We have, we have a, a thing called, is the cake out of the box? Which is a great story. I'd probably never have told you. No. So we had uh, Josh Turner come for Miracle on Palafox. Uh, this is about three or four years ago. And um, Josh, it was on his birthday. 
So what do you do, right? I mean, the, the, we got an artist who's in town for an event that we are doing to raise money for. The, it, you know, it, Miracle on Palafox is about Christmas wishes, which really goes to help kids who are in underprivileged households maybe get some toys for Christmas. Um, so Josh comes, and, and uh, at the time, we were going to honor him with his own birthday cake on the stage. So we go to do that, and the picture that would go to the trades or whatever is the birthday cake with Josh leaning over the birthday cake and all of our talent looking at Josh going, happy birthday. Oh. Except that nobody took the cake out of the box, which meant there was a big cardboard box on a table that they brought out and put the logo backwards. So, there's no shot of Josh Turner in looking at his birthday cake. There's only a shot of the cardboard box being opened and Josh Turner looking like he's acknowledged that there is a cake. It's not the shot we wanted. So in that, we have a saying at the station, is the cake out of the box, which really stands for what have we done to make this special? You know, and is everybody on the same page with making that special? So that applies to the morning show. What are we doing to make the cake out of the box every day? And then that applies to the radio station, what are we doing to make our promotion, our event, whatever it is, a cake out of the box moment? And so for me, um, there's a lot of planning that goes around that. So my day is broken up to, into some different areas. I get up at 4 o'clock. The show starts at 5. I'm usually one cup of coffee in by 5.30, which is important. Um, or maybe not. Maybe I need to cut back on the coffee. I'm not sure. Uh, depending on what time of year it is, sometimes it's a three-cup morning, sometimes not. Uh, typically the show is over at 10 o'clock. We use the last hour of the show to try to pre-prep for the date and the, the next day because we go into a lot of music. By the time your workday starts, we play a lot more music than we do morning show stuff. What typically happens right now is at 10 o'clock, I will actually usually try to go home and rock a nap. Like I usually need to go home and I, and I, my superpower is that I can sleep. I can be asleep in two minutes and I can sleep for as little as 10 minutes and be okay. Like I can get a you know, quick nap or I can also rock it, you know, rack out for two hours. Better if it's 10 minutes. If I'm out for two hours, like I am a zombie to get going again. So typically I will go home and do that. I will usually get, be at the office or whatever. I typically have duties around noon for whatever. Whatever depends on what the day is. And then I'm usually there till 3 or 4 o'clock. And then I go to whatever our evening thing is. Tuesdays, it's bands on the beach, you know, Wednesday nights, I'm doing FPU, Friday nights, we're doing a race, whatever, whatever that ends up looking like. Um, and that's typically my, my pattern. And then most of the time I'm in bed at 10 o'clock, which is an hour and a half after when I should be in bed to get up at four o'clock in the morning. So we're working on that. Talking to you, doctor. Appreciate you. Uh, so that's, you know, I mean, that. I had young kids and never wanted to miss out on what they were doing, and typically bedtime was 10, so that just kind of became the thing. Although, now that I pretty much only have a 16-year-old at home who's working and is dead to the world by 8 o'clock, it makes it a lot easier for Angeline to be like, okay, it's 9 o'clock, let's hit the rack. <laughs> so, that's good. But that's about, that's about what my day is. Outside of the morning show, I'm usually using the last two hours of the day to prep for the next day. So there's usually about an hour of prep in the morning for, hey, what are we doing tomorrow? Here's what we're going to talk about tomorrow. Here's how we're going to get it tomorrow. During the day, there's, hey, we got to do stuff so that tomorrow happens, depending on what it is, which includes interviews with other people. Um, you know, hey, I want you to tell me what your favorite color is. If tomorrow's topic is, what's your favorite color day? 
So I got to get you to say that or a couple of people to say that. So I seed the phone calls. And then at night, I usually go back through, here's all the stuff that I missed. And that actually comes out of the habit of we used to have terrible internet at the tower. So bad we couldn't get access to what was going on. So I never prepped at the radio station. I would always prep at night. And um, that's just a habit that I've always kept. So, And a lot of times in that time, I'm figuring out how do I plan the station's you know, promotions or whatever else might be part of that creative process. So it sounds like while you have a routine, your routine isn't like a lot of people, you know, even they might think of radio as a, a time where you get up, you go to the station, you do your job, you go home. Yours isn't like that. So by my count, we call in it a, the radio life. Yeah, in a given day, you get up, you leave home. Mm -hmm. You're at the tower, which is a different place than the station. Correct. That's up in Molino. Uh, technically not Molino. It's actually, it it's um, it's it would be closer to what they would call Robertsdale. You can't put a thousand foot tower yeah. in downtown Pensacola. So the only yeah. place that was available is in the middle of international paper. Uh, several forests, logged forests, down about a two and a half mile dirt road at the base of this tower is typically where our studio currently operates from. We can operate from both locations, mm -hmm. but until we do something else at this other location, mm -hmm. we are we do a lot of work in the woods. Yeah, so you're up there, and then you head down to the main studio right. in town. Yep. Then it sounds like you're back at home prepping, working at home. Yep. And then there's all of the events Oh, um, remotes, anything. There's almost something surely going on once a day. Yep. So it's four places of work every single day. Yep. Wow. Yeah, yeah. That is. I mean, uh, how do you sustain that? You plan a vacation every six months. I've always got something to look forward to. Have you ever had, you know, I, I move around from location to location a lot now for my work. Um, have you ever had just, you, you're on a deadline, everything is timed out perfect. It is a thing of beauty and then traffic hits or you know something oh, you yeah, can't man. control and it just throws everything off new spiral yeah i mean uh yeah it is i mean i tend to over agree like i always feel like i can cut it too close and i shouldn't shouldn't do that like I'm, that's I'm, how i got him ladies and gentlemen that's why he's here that's it i mean i mean that's it that's it well it's it's not so much that it's it's that i've you know like like right now we're getting mm -hmm. to do this because i'm off this week mm-hmm you know, this this works out. I'm there's a promotions meeting I'm not going to today. There's some other stuff that happens at the station that I don't I don't have to be a part of today. Um, but I tend to be like if I can if I got to be somewhere, you know, I have an event that starts at eleven, I can do something else till ten thirty. That's really not enough time for me. Time management wise, I should be done by ten fifteen, mm -hmm. just to build in the pad. And that's something that I'm personally working to be better at. Man, you know, thus managing my ability to deliver. And this has nothing to do with creativity, but it has to do with uh, Brent's time management. So, and this is a story I've told other people. And uh, Brent, you said if you have a magic power, it is naps. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you have two magic powers. So, w would you agree we have been to several movies together now? 100%, yes. A lot of movies. Part of the, mo part of the movie crew, definitely. Yep. So, uh, before joining the movie crew and going with Brent, I was the guy that, for my own anxiety, I had to have the right seat in the right time. So, I'd be at every movie 30 minutes early mm -hmm. in my seat. And then people would kind of build around me. And I've gotten over that now. <laughs> Thanks to the movie crew. It's not my life anymore. But Brent, no matter what, no matter where he is, no matter what's going on, 
I, I wonder if you're just out in the hallway because we're all waiting for Brent. We've got a, 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 a seat <laughs> safe for him. The last, we're not talking, the previews are playing. The previews are ending. The, the last note fade out of the last <laughs> preview goes down. Movie credit comes up. Brent sits down in his chair. <laughs> he has never missed a second of a movie, but he has never been there a moment earlier than he had to. How do you time that? <laughs> Luck. Yeah, I don't know, man. You know, I was there early for one, like 300 back in the day. That was that was a good flick. Um, I don't know. It's just one of the, you know, and I do, I love movies, by the way. The yeah. creative process of movies are something for me. Like, I enjoy watching a movie mm -hmm. to see how somebody else did it creatively. Mm -hmm. Like, I always think the storytelling of that, which goes along with what I do for a living, um, but I enjoy that so much and I enjoy the camaraderie of movies. Uh, you never want to let your, your movie buddies down. Yeah. No, so. you've, like I said, you've never, you've never missed a second of it. I got the popcorn! <laughs> yeah. slide, gonna, slide into the yeah. chair. At one point, did you find out or did you realize with Angie that you weren't the only talented speaker in front of a microphone in your marriage? Uh, the first time I called her, I got her answering machine and I thought, she's got a great voice. And uh, and sure enough, she did. So we of over over the years we've been together, we probably we we do a phone greetings business outside of this, and um, I would say she does probably eighty percent of the work. I do all of the editing, but I do but she does eighty percent of the voice work. <laughs> but yeah, she's good. She's yeah. uh, you know she's she's the shadow voice for Cat Country. So when mm -hmm. you hear the artists and titles on the radio station, that's that's her. We did that the first time. We did the first five hundred artists and titles. Our anniversary weekend of 2008. You know what you should not do on your anniversary weekend? Something where either of you is giving directions to the other. Say Garth for me. It's not Girth. It's Garth. So, yeah. I slept on the couch. It was not my favorite. <laughs> Angie is a lovely woman and is great and has been a, a co-host at times on the show. Yeah, filled she... In. Um, uh, I've had uh, three major co-hosts. We've had uh, Dana, who was my first co-host. She and I did this show for about five years. In between, uh, Candy, Angela was on for about a year. And uh, we had a great thing going. And honestly, um, that might have been perfect. My son was still in elementary school hmm. and really wanted mom to, you know, still be able to take him to school. And so, we, you know, that was a family decision. We decided. But she's, you know, I mean, she'll fill in from time to time and, and come in and sit in with me and... Um, you know, she's, a, she's the head of our team catitude for the making strides walk and, and, you know, is very involved with the station, obviously with me as well. And then obviously I've had candy for candy, candy and I'll be together. I think this is seven or maybe eight years. Yeah. yeah. What's amazing is I grew up with candy when I was in high school, I was, uh, into rock music. So I listened to a lot of TK, right. Uh, TK one one and candy was one of the big hosts there. And, uh, she she says she uh, you know I mean she she did rock radio for most of her life but actually she's a Barry Manilow fan like in a big way she loves yacht rock and uh, and currently obviously is in you know she, I mean she's very good at what she does yeah. with country music so yeah she is a uh, she is a very big personality she is yes. a lot of fun to be around yes yeah she'll tell you some stories that'll make you cringe <laughs> so here at the end I always ask someone for a piece of advice okay so. Someone who's wanting to either get into radio or, you know, we could narrow it down to like finding your voice, you know, and, and, and the ability to have confidence in front of a microphone. Sure. Because there's a lot of things, you know, for a lot of, a lot of people at some point in their life, they might end up on camera or on mic. Sure. 
And it's not a wholly natural place to be for most people. Well, actually, I would tell you that my thinking right now is, first of all, in radio, they don't teach it like it's an opportunity anymore, right? We are one of the declining industries of America, which actually means that it's probably a better opportunity right now to be somebody in high school or college and think about going into it because this is something we're always trying to get more people in. So it's an opportunity if you look at it the right way. And secondly, because of social media, I would say that you have, we are training a generation of people to host their own shows already, right? I mean, we have so many people who are already, I have my TikTok channel or I'm on Insta or whatever, and I'm doing stories and I'm, we already have a huge group of people who already natively know how to host stuff. Um, but what I would tell you, if you're asking for my tip, my tip is it's twofold. One, you have to be a learner. You cannot know everything. You should not know everything. You cannot approach a business knowing everything. There are great people who have been doing this for a long time who have a, an enormous amount of wisdom who can help you. And I would say this, this is a caveat to that. I would say social media is good and bad because there are a lot of times some folks want to be famous on social media and they already think they know everything. Mm -hmm. That is hard to work with. Is very difficult. You can be like, well, I'm already doing my own show. And if you bow up like that, this is a bad gig. Like, it doesn't work. Like, we have a very set way of working that is proven to be successful. So the station is nominated for CMA Station of the Year. We're, we, have a, we have accolades in a, in a trophy case that indicate that there's a group of people who have really applied personally and professionally, a set of, of things that make it work, okay? As a group, we're locally owned. It's not a corporate radio station thing. I mean, there's a group of people who are very talented at this. So if you show up and think you know everything, it's very hard for, A, anyone to respect you, and B, it is very difficult for somebody to want to teach you. And I would tell you that if you're a learner, if you're somebody who wants to be taught, can be taught, is capable of receiving coaching, Critical cr criticism is going to help you be better long term. There is nothing you can. It's just like being coached in sports. There is nothing that s nobody's trying to ruin you or take away your personality in this job in this business. We're trying to make you the best you you can be. You got to make sure you're playing for the right team when you do that. But the other part of that tip is like you have to be all in. It's not a nine to five job as you pointed out, and rightfully so. Anybody who approaches the media business in general, whether it is TV or radio or whatever, if you go, oh man, you know what? I only want to work nine to five. Like you're going to get beat immediately. Mm -hmm. It's still a competition, right? The, you know, we, food gets put on my table because of advertising and advertisers have to see a value in that and in an effort for people to see a value in what we bring to the party, like we're a business of making friends. And if I had never been a learner, I would not have the experience of some folks that were very talented along the way. Like I would not have the benefit of knowing what they knew about how to do stuff. I bring my own personality to every party and then I coach others to do what I want them to do in terms of how to do that. But I need their personality to be part of that plan. So you can be really good at being a personality, but if you're no good at the craft portion of it, You'll never get better. You'll never do 
what we want you to do. So my tip is always be a learner. Be a learner, be a learner, be a learner, and find somebody who's a good mentor. And and I think that my experience is if you reach out for somebody to be a mentor to, they'll give it back to you, right? I mean, I wouldn't tell you to go and be overbearing to somebody. I wouldn't tell you to go, you know, I used to ask for, we call them air check sessions. So I'd bring my tape in and I'd have the person who was, you know, I was doing midnight to five. I probably was not the most important person in their day, but every Tuesday at 3.15, Mike Shepard would sit down with me and we'd listen to my tape, which was about five minutes long in terms of the breaks, you know, music radio. I have 20 and 30 second talkovers in between songs and that sort of thing. So we'd talk about how to get better. Why would this tease work better here? But that coaching does not stop today. I am being coached today. I have somebody who listens to me every day and we meet all the time about what if we did it this way? And that person becomes my collaborator in how I make my craft better. And if you aren't somebody who is okay with that, it is very hard to succeed. If you find a good mentor, somebody with some success who you respect, and you can get them to help you, magnificent. Keep going. Find a, it doesn't matter. And, and the, other part, the other part of that tip is in being a learner is you really have to get your foot in the door by showing up. And if that means, hey, I'm going to show up and be a brand ambassador, so I'm going to be the cat or, you know, I'm going to hand out stickers or whatever. Get in the door doing that. Hey, I am really, I really would like to do this. Like, I cannot tell you how many times somebody's opportunity opened up because they were there. Not because it was where they started, but because they were there. Hey, man, I need somebody to board up Argo Athletic Football. Golly, Bobo Johnson got into an, a car accident. We have, who's going to do it? I'll do it. That's how it starts. So I started off, you know, being the guy who was available, and then I was a learner, and then I became the personality I am today. It's fantastic. That is wise words, man. Well, thanks for telling us. I appreciate it, man. Thank you. And if you're watching and you go, hey, I really want to do that, like, go do that. If you're not in this town, go find a local radio station that'll go do that. Again, you have an opportunity to do it just by being available. Doesn't always work out in terms of, you know, you can throw out a, a million resumes, but the right mm -hmm. opportunity will come along. You have to keep, you have to be tenacious, man. You got to mm -hmm. keep going. You can't be, uh, I won and done it. No. It didn't work out one time. Nope. Yeah, man. It, does, it just doesn't work. You got to go in and keep going and keep going and keep going. I will go back to telling you it took me eight months to get a job at KSON when I thought I was going into a position. Hmm. So I went to a college radio station. I did the best work I could do taped it, and sent it every 10 days. That's tenacity. I believed that 10 days is right. Honestly, honest to goodness, I still believe it. I had a kid who was a high schooler who every, every Thursday afternoon at 3.05, I could count on getting an email. And for six months, he hit me up till I finally hired him. Eventually. That means a lot, though. Somebody is going to pay attention. So mm -hmm. you have to be tenacious. You have to be a learner. And you got to work on the craft. Thanks for being here today, Brent. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me. I hope you enjoyed the show. Find more at creativesincorporated.com. <laughs>